Ignition in three, two, one. Recording in progress. I started recording when you said three, two, one the first time. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Pod Damn South America, huh? This week, uh, we're talking about the Pink Tide, uh, the part two. That may be happening right now, but uh, before we get into that, hello, I'm Jake Flores, Alex Patak is here. What's up, what the fuckers? It's another episode of Newsweek. Anders Lee is here. Anders Lee here. What the fuck? On the West Coast. West Coast Anders. <laughs> Anders, how's the weather out there? It's, you know, uh, surprisingly cool. Uh, I thought it was going to be a scorcher, but it's honestly just better than... The East Coast is like... The pla- all the places I've lived, it's just blazing hot in the summer, and I assume California would be that way. But it's just nice. California Anders. I'm disappointed in the like uh, wardrobe change for California Anders. He looks very similar to East Coast Anders so far. Are you like yeah. saying Mahalo or doing anything different? <laughs> Underneath this, I'm wearing a puka shell necklace and a tank top. So, and okay. a thong. They Dream those, right? on California, Anders. Anders Lee here. Anders Lee here. California. There you go. And All right. It should it. be California, California, Anders Lee here. But whatever. Whatever. Um, <laughs> one thing I discovered is uh, we got, we went to candy store in uh, Malibu, California. Uh-huh. And the beaches there are like <laughs> it, they're, they're all these nice houses, right? And then there's a beach, uh, but the it's and in theory it's a public beach, but there's you can there's a property line though that you cannot cross or you will be shot or arrested or bit by a dog. Very uh, California, and, right? The only place you can go is directly on the beach. There's like one square foot. That's not like the water and someone else's yard that you're trespassing in. That's how they set up Malibu so people don't come and hang out at the beach. Uh, but we did it anyway, and we got some candy, some vegan chocolate. And I got a, a caramel chocolate, a little crunch there, a little salty. Uh, goes very well. Uh, and then I was eating it after going to the beach, and it tasted extra crunchy. I realized there's some sand in the chocolate. My However, God. it made it much a much better experience than it would have been. So you uh, you like it? I like the sand and the chocolate. It's good. It's uh, not. What you're saying at the beginning of our Pink Tide episode is you enjoy eating sand, and wish <laughs> sand was in more food. Yeah, it's you know like a cho- chocolate with everybody loves the sea salt on chocolate and the oh. caramel crunch, you know, and it it's just it's nice to be. Uh, consuming chocolate with a bit of a crunch. Cut out the middleman. Put some <laughs> right. glass You're in there. You're paying too much for crunch. <laughs> yeah, it adds even more crunch. It's it, and it's you know you can consume a lot of sand and not get sick or anything. It's the sand. I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> this is a wildly to to irresponsible to thing to be saying into a microphone to a bunch of people. But all right, sure. Listen, you don't impressionable it. Don't children. Hold it. Eat some fucking sand. A little sprinkle of sand that gets in your chocolate, it's, it, you, you barely even notice it. It's a good, 
it's a good addition. I do not right? like California Anders. I'm drawing the line here. You need to come <laughs> right. back home. He promotes dangerous ideas. <laughs> this is That's messed just California up. California mindset, baby. Yeah, everything's just fucking cool, isn't it, bruh? I don't think it is at all. Yeah. Everything's copacetic to you. Isn't that Hello. right, Kimosabi? All I'm saying is YOLO. Yeah, no, you that's, are. That's a California thing, right? You do I'm only also live in twenty twelve. <laughs> that's why you Well, I mean the time is uh that's that's the time change. That's right. They're eight uh, nine years behind us in <laughs> California. That's right. It's very far away. Um so we have this great guest on and we're gonna talk about all the different uh Latin American countries and like what's going on. Uh is there a new wave of socialism happening? Akin to the the turn of the '90s, akin to the the the, the oven of neoliberalism, making delicious delicious cookies by accident. But the one part I could have talked about for a, another full hour is just more about the indigenous lefty comedian circle in <laughs> yes. Peru. I had so many more questions. Are what are they doing? <laughs> sketches? I do not understand what they're doing. I saw a picture and it looks very much like uh, the clown stuff that we talked about a long time ago with like right. in Mexico. Like they're still in vaude. They're still doing vaudeville shit in a lot of ways in Latin comedy. I think. Right. You know, there's we like proper get- stand up in Mexico City though. It's real big right now. Yeah, they have right, some of yeah. it on Netflix. Yeah, it's like becoming a thing, but it's like it's weird because it's a step out of like the if you okay, if you're a stand up comedian right now, I bet in like the young hip scene in like Mexico City, you're probably really into like Marin or something like that. And then like the Maron Mark Maron. The <laughs> everyone makes the same joke at once. Uh, <laughs> but the generation, like the the generation of older comics that hangs out, like in kind of like um gatekeeps and talk shit is literally clowns like we're in the break <laughs> from <laughs> from clowning to just stand up or whatever so it's just See, one joke. that's a big problem because you're gonna get louis ck clowns yeah they're like very <laughs> physically jacking off in front of people against their will and they're like you know everyone is trying to cancel me the clown <laughs> <laughs> they cannot handle when i honk my horn <laughs> <laughs> You've well, seen a man a, expose himself on a tiny tricycle. It's really something you never recover. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because as we'll discuss with, with Ollie, uh in Peru, these sort of clowns, vaudevillian uh, comedians are lo- looked down on by um, at least, you know, I don't know about most of the population, but like urban people. Uh, but in Mexico, I don't know if it's totally the same thing, but uh, – are totally different, but uh, the, what's the guy's name who we did the episode on? The that clown, Broso El Payaso Teddy Broso, right? Broso the scary to, clown. I've talked to friends of mine who are from Mexico, and they say he's like the most respected person in the country. Like, they, they say he's the John Stewart of Mexico. Right? Yeah, like he doesn't. He goes after everybody. He's not, you know, he's just looking out for the interests of the people. He can um, walk a tight rope of political scorn. <laughs> That's right. You throw a pie in the face of hypocrisy and mediocrity. <laughs> Man. Yeah. We got to bring back clowns. Well, I guess we have one. Anders, yeah, clown, California, right. clown here. And California all these clown. ones on, the, on Capitol Hill. Am I right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that okay to say? How about Is that too far? Clownifornia. It's an entire West Coast <laughs> state full of clowns. 
that are all yeah. douchebags from the beach. Okay. Um, yeah. I no. actually so my clown instructor in France when I studied, I made my pilgrimage over there to learn clowning in a top, yeah, top France. Uh, I asked him because people always say Trump's a clown and he's very funny. You're like, he is um, not a clown. <laughs> right, yeah, I asked him that. I was like, is my president, is he a clown? If so, is, or is he a good clown or would he be a bad clown? Is he and a he form took of like, clown? Yeah, and he took like five minutes to be like, what an idiotic question. Such yeah. a stupid, <laughs> stupid question. Oh, man. And then he was like, he is not a clown. There is nothing beautiful. <laughs> I hate when I ask a question and get that response. It really hurts my feelings. Yeah, because yeah. you have to be beautiful to be a clown. You have to be a beautiful idiot, and cla- and Trump is just an idiot. He's an ugly, mean, mean spirited person. Clowning is about intention, right? Like you, if Trump was doing this all on purpose, okay, he's a Sasha Baron Cohen genius, right? But he's yeah. just an idiot, not beautiful. He's a, yes. in, in the Although, same way Mr. Magoo is not a clown. Yeah, but there is a distinction between clown and, not to get too in the weeds here, Buffon, <laughs> which is like a more adversarial sort of, like you're you're being a dick. And so Trump, I think, would be a Buffon. He's a Buffon. Buffon. Okay. Okay. Well, it, it's good to get these terms out of the way. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. Like what? Bolsonaro would be a absolute, well, no, you know what? <laughs> Bolsonaro oh, no. is a clown. I don't think he's smart enough to be a buffoon, right? Trump is at least cunning. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I would have to. It feels weird drawing distinctions there. Yeah. I, I, I feel like they're really on the same team. They're pretty similar right. guys, I think. They both seem like dumbasses yeah. and kind of cunning. But let's have to move on from clowns. What are we okay. talking about okay. today? I Because assume someone listening to the podcast does not know Pink Tide. We have to explain it before we right. go into an in-depth interview about it. So what was the first Pink Tide? Okay. So in the 90s and early aughts, right, uh, there is a wave of left-wing uh, uh, political change in Central and South America. And we see that in the form of uh, Venezuela. Hugo Chavez took power. Um, in, we got a good list up here somewhere. Argentina, the Kirchners. They had a couple going at it, like the anti-Clintons, basically. Uh, Evo Morales, I believe, counts as part of the Pink Tide, right? Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, some dispute as to whether or not our boy Lula da Silva counts because I believe the distinction uh, Rene Rojas made was that uh, there wasn't strong of a social movement or, or something like that. The, the, there was not like a protest as massive as a protest movement as in like Venezuela. But I think to zoom out a little bit more than that for non-academic purposes, I think we could... Uh, Count Lula as part of the the left in that friend of era. the show. Yeah, yes. there's like a general Absolutely. Latin American tendency towards electing left wing leaders, kind of in reaction to all the imposed neoliberal shit from the 70s and 80s and shit like that. Right. Yeah, and so you have all these countries moving away from austerity and these market uh, policy like formations in government. And uh, if you, if you Google like Pink Tide, it's just New York Times people rejoicing that the tide has ebbed and right. all of these countries went back to neutral. But as I think our guest points out, 
in this show, you know, um, the winds of political change are always moving, and formations like that can happen. So um, what we're looking at now is a new wave of, like, leftern momentum in, in – Southern Hemisphere, and we're like, hmm, I'll have some of that. And so that's Left what this episode is Left turn, I like that. Yeah. Left turn. Okay. And Left it's turn. now coming after, like, things like the the Janine Agnes coup in Bolivia and stuff like that, and the thing where Lula got thrown in jail and stuff. There's, like, a new... Right. The pendulum is swinging, maybe, is a, a broad yes. stroke. Uh, Sand yeah. has gotten into the chocolate in South America <laughs> and yielded a new flavor we are all going to enjoy. Got right. it. Yeah, the, the interesting thing is, like, this was during sort of the neoliberal era. They managed to pull this off in several countries, and they uh, nationalized a lot of commodities, a lot of natural resources, and the, the uh, they did very well for themselves when the uh, resources were selling and the prices, I think, were up. And then once they went down over the past few years, the governments were not as popular because the they couldn't invest as much. Um, and so there was some turning against them and they've elected right wing governments. But as as we, we soon learn, a right wing government is not really going to uh, bring the economy back for anybody but a small sliver of the population. So I think such is some of the, the difficulties of navigating international capital. Right, right. Yeah, they've been in some ways hopefully delegitimized and uh, hopefully there will be a return to a more socialist politics um, and economically socialist, you know, to, to make a distinction with uh, Grimes, who is uh, a socialist, but not an economic socialist. Do you see this? Uh, yes. Is that her th- new thing? Yeah, she's a she socialist, but a not economically. Page. She's a <laughs> social socialist. socialist. Yeah. Uh, but we're he getting likes some real. Robots. She's just saying she's a <laughs> yeah. she, she a hoe, right? <laughs> uh, but you know who else is a hoe? Uh, Bolsonaro, who is coming out hopefully of power next year. He is a sort of a buffon battle. That's right, and uh, and then we got some changes happening as, as we're going to discuss in Peru, Chile, elsewhere. Hopefully, hopefully Peru, definitely Chile, and definitely Bolivia. Okay. All right. I think we have painted a picture. I can see it. A pink. Yes. I can see a big pink picture of Latin America and various forces in conflict with each other, but emerging. The pink, uh, something pink in the water, almost like sand in the chocolate. There's, and it's not <laughs> blood, but it is, it's blood of the, you know, the ruling class. It's That's blood right. of a guy you don't like. There you go. It's good that it's blood. And there's a yeah. shark. It's good that it's blood. There's a glorious... The people's shark is swimming around. And he's gonna fucking... He's gonna jump out of the water and over a barrier like Free Willy. But it's the shark from Jaws who is the people's shark. Oh, I was gonna say, is it not the shark from Harley Quinn? No. Yeah, okay. The Ron Funches shark? No, that shark yeah. blocked me on Twitter, so it's not that shark. <laughs> that shark blocked me on Twitter well, the, for being the mean to Roseanne. The blocked me on Twitter, so... <laughs> okay, well, it, I don't think we could frame it any better than that. It's the people's <laughs> shark. It's time to cut to our interview with the very intelligent, all, always relevant, Ollie Vargas. Cut to the tape!
and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. here live with the one and only reporter public intellectual journalist at large ollie vargas welcome to the show no thanks guys uh for me of course of course um so this is kind of just uh this is some vegetables for the audience today we want to learn we want to learn about the world at large what's going on on in the many coasts that that these uh these God-given lands have offered us, uh, and especially about the elections happening in South America right now. Who are the countries to watch? Who's got elections coming up? Well, yeah, there's, uh, um, so on Sunday, in like a couple of days, there's going to be presidential elections in Peru. Um, and it's quite interesting. Peru is the sort of country that uh, like has, has never had a kind of progressive government in the way that other countries, their neighbors, have had. Um and for the first time, a guy's come out, sort of, a, uh, his name is Pedro Castillo, mm-hmm. his party called Peru Libre, which is, um, identifies itself as a, as a Marxist-Leninist party. Um, and he's basically managed to group together all of, all of the provinces to surround the capital city and to outvote them, basically. And that's what he's planning to do. He's, uh, in the rural areas, he's, he's on about 72% of the vote. And he loses in the biggest city. So there's this big sort of cultural clash between the provinces and the sort of metropolitan elites, which is really interesting. Um, and yeah, and it's producing some quite interesting sort of reactions from just the sorts of people that are worried about what's going on. Um, very similar to what happened in Bolivia last year, because the, the kind of demographics of it always quite interesting. As I said, Pedro Castillo's voters of the left in Peru are primarily, overwhelmingly rural, indigenous, uh, working class, um, whereas the people in who are voting for the right for Keiko Fujimori, which is she's the daughter of the ex-dictator Alberto Fujimori, um, they're concentrated almost all of them in the capital city, Lima. And so now yeah. they're kind of freaking out. They're like, oh no, like the peasants are surrounding us, you know, like what are we going to do? And they, they feel kind of trapped at this point. Um, and there's, yeah, like, they're people who don't understand each other, essentially. Um, and when people from the countryside, from rural areas of Peru go to, to live in Lima, migrate there because of poverty, where they come from, you know, these people in the cities, they, they don't recognize, they're like, oh, they're invaders, they're immigrants, you know, mm. even though it's their own country. <laughs> that's how, yeah. they, um, talk, that's how they, they regard the rest of the country. So, um, yeah, there's some really interesting dynamics. I think a lot of the uh, usual suspects are also quite worried. Uh, you know, like the U.S. media <laughs> is mm. uh, is uh, quite worried about what's going on because Pedro Castillo, his proposals are um, the nationalisation of natural resources, are the uh, a constituent assembly to drop a new constitution, so it's completely throughout the old sort of. Uh, um, neoliberal constitution and create a new one 
so all of that is structural changes, you know. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's something to keep an eye on. They go to vote on Sunday in a couple of days now. So we'll see if, if, uh, if he's able to go over the line. Well, it's, it's funny that it feels like this kind of took everybody by surprise, like uh, the left in some ways, but also especially the mainstream media here in the United States didn't even have a picture for Castillo uh, on CNN uh, when he won the first round or he, when he, you know, came in uh, enough to, to continue to the second round of the runoff. Um, and like, yeah, as you mentioned, there seems to be this cultural divide. And I saw you tweeted uh, recently about some comedians in uh, Peru who have been out and about supporting Castillo, but are uh, disdained by sort of those urban uh, elites, if you will, you were talking about uh, who are those people? What's their what's their comedy like? Uh, this is and what also, we want to hear about. This is the, I also want to ask industry breakdown. <laughs> yeah, what's the Peruvian scene like? Do they have good mics? <laughs> who do I talk to? How do I get that? And uh, also wanted to ask, what's with the pencil? I see Castillo all the time going around with a big pencil. What is that? Yes, it's the pencil. The people are going to write a new constitution with it. Ah, <laughs> oh my that's gosh, cool. that's you can cool. do anything with. But I mean, it's like the math pin. Yeah, but I think it also like speaks to that cultural divide because um, it, this movement is like overwhelmingly, you know, like working class, rural. Um, it doesn't have a lot of support, even among the sort of progressive circles and, you know, more middle class or uh, university, maybe uh, urban areas. And like the pencil is something that those sorts of people don't even use in, in their lives anymore. You know, a lot of people just use, mm. have smartphones, laptops, whatever. Um, but actually in Peru, that's, that's not the majority. Those people are the minority. So those pencils come in as like, this is, you know, this is one of us. This is what, <laughs> this is the stuff that we use. Um, that's a good symbol, but you should write the constitution in pen because otherwise someone could just go on and erase it. The next guy running is predecessor. The guy comes after him is the big eraser. He's like, I'm the eraser. <laughs> I would even type it if possible. Yeah, yeah. Let's not get carried away. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. But no, it's um. So the campaign is over now. They had their last rally yesterday, and um, yeah, it was like one of the stars at the rally was this comedian called El, El Cholo Juanito, and he's. I, I actually thought he was Bolivian because years ago, he's really popular in Bolivia um, in the sort of Andean areas that shared with Peru. Uh, and he's just, he has a kind of comedy act duo with his partner, a guy called Richard Douglas. And Cholo Juanito is indigenous and his friend Richard Douglas is not. And they have this sort of thing where they kind of, you know, sort of make fun of each other on every show. Um, you know, him talking about, oh, you're so... You're so white, blah, blah, blah. And the other guy's like, oh, you're so backwards. But then, like, the end of the show is always, like, the indigenous guy that smarts the other one, even though he seems it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's stuff that is, they always play, like, in the street. But, like, they're, they're really big. They're on TV. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're celebrities. They're very, very big celebrities. But they're only watched, enjoyed by people like them, working class, you know, rural indigenous people um people in the cities just think it's like really embarrassing and like you know oh, like that. and and it, and it goes along with the music as well so part of that comedy act is, is music 
um, and they play the sorts of music that people listen to in you know rural areas, etc. And that you know, if you were to play that music in, in a social setting in, in the capital city, which is Lima, you know, you, you'd get laughed at. You'd be like, oh, this is Indians music, you know, it's Cholo music, blah blah. So it's a uh, it's kind of like a cultural component of of this political movement, you know, of um, the the majority of ordinary people coming into politics on their own terms, with their own culture. Um, and saying, if, if you don't like it, you know, we don't care. We're, there's more of us, so um, that's, how, that's how we're going to go. That's how we're going to proceed. Mm. The people in the cities think it's cringe. Yeah, it is cringe. Yeah. yeah. Right. They want to hear like Interpol and uh, the latest comedy stylings of <laughs> Carlos yeah, Mencia. Like, I don't know. Some international <laughs> stand up. Mexicans that are on like US channels and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Like, they seem boring. This is interesting. Yeah. Historically, like it's kind of been the other way around with like you know communist shit. We're like, oh, it's only the urban intellectuals and the fucking <laughs> peasants or you know the conservative ones or whatever. But I guess the the tides have turned. Eh? Well, yeah, but it's it's interesting because from like sort of the U.S. northern perspective, uh, Pedro Castillo is like somewhat of what we might probably call here a, like a social conservative like he's you know a little uh probably not someone we would agree with on abortion or gay rights and stuff but has that shifted since the first round because i know they there were talks between different parties who are more uh socially progressive has he indicated that he's going to change some of that or what's the deal there i think it's quite an interesting issue um yeah i think he does have like what those of us here would call sort of socially conservative positions. Um, you know, he's not in favor of legalizing abortion. Um, like, I think he said that the issue of like gay marriage would be left to the Christian assembly, but you know, it's not something he would push. But, I, you know, for me now that I, I, I live in Latin America, it's, it's not socially conservative for Latin America. The whole of Latin America is socially conservative. His views are like the mainstream, really. Um, right, you can get a lot more socially conservative. <laughs> you yeah. can get people who are much, much, much further to the right, and it is how most people think. It is how, uh, especially in working class areas, rural areas, um, people feel. That, you know, the large majority of people um, are very focused on the issue of poverty. Very focused on uh, the issues like national sovereignty um, and development, economic development. And, but people don't, there hasn't been uh, ever really a great deal of discussion about issues of identity, social issues, stuff like this. It's seen as quite alien. Um, and when the only people talk about it are these sorts of like, sort of snobbish people and you know, middle-class people in the cities, then the reaction gets more interesting. Oh, you know, this is just concerns of like these, uh, I don't know, um, avant-garde middle-class like city people. It has nothing to do with us. That's how most people think. Um, I mean, just here in Bolivia, where I, a few months ago, I was interviewing a, a female union leader in this region of Cochabamba, and she is, you know, we talked for a long time and. She's really an impressive woman, and like she was talking about her fight as well against against sexism within the union, how she had to fight to become a leader and stuff. 
and it's really great stuff. And then asked her about abortion. She said, "Oh no, I'm I'm a I'm a Catholic. All my family's Catholic. We're, we're socialists, we're revolutionaries, but we're also Christians. And no, I don't agree with abortion." Every baby unborn is a potential revolutionary. <laughs> They'll lock you away if you say that, but it's Interesting. true. <laughs> well, yeah, there's uh, like, as you said, that sounds like there's certainly people who are uh, way to the right of Castillo on, on everything. Uh, and one of them is uh, Kiko Fujimori. Right. And I, some of our listeners are probably thinking Fujimori. That doesn't sound like a Peruvian name, uh, but oh, this is a whole family that goes way back. They've done some pretty nasty stuff. Uh, who are the four Fujimoris? What is Fujimorismo, as it's called? Yeah, so, so you're right. It's not a Peruvian name. It's a Japanese name. They're from Japan. Um, her father is Alberto Fujimori, who was a dictator in the 1990s. He was elected in 1990, but then two years in, he did what's called a self-coup, where he told the military, invited the military to carry out a coup against mm. Congress, basically, to close down all opposition so that he and the military could rule and oppose. And that went on for about eight years. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, it, it was a dictatorship, you know? It was, there's thousands of people were, were jailed, many disappeared, so lots of massacres. Uh, and there was a case that's actually going through the courts now of how hundreds of thousands of indigenous women were sterilized. Without you know, without them knowing about it till two years later when they realised that they could uh, give birth, and this is with like entire regions that were this was applied to. Um, and incidentally, that's actually something that fed it, that feeds into the sort of anti-abortion sentiment, especially in rural areas. Mm, it's actually something that's forced onto people um, yeah. without their permission, without their consent. Um, so yeah, and that period of the dictatorship was wasn't just you know about political oppression it was also about introducing the free market reforms right privatizations um to create the the, the economic model that peru has today which is you know pure neoliberalism uh, enormous inequality i mean when i i, I used to live in peru for a couple of years ago and there i met people large numbers of people who were like way richer than anyone I've met in the UK. <laughs> but then really? we go out to the edges of the city, like 30, you know, 30 to 40% of the city has, has no water access to water at all. That's to buy water in from lorries and these tankers. You fill up your bucket and that's all you can get. And you pay double for that to what the rich people with running water in their homes pay, have it, you know, flow freely. Um, so these are the kinds of like, enormous inequalities that exist in, in Peru. Um, and that was a result of that era. And the constitution was written in that time as well under Alberto Fukimori. And Keiko Fukimori, she is his daughter, um, but she was a first lady at the time. <laughs> during that. You thing. can do oh, that? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, did, I didn't know you could, but yeah. You, is this a Chinatown situation or? Yeah, I think, I don't know what happened to his wife. I mean, I don't know if she like died or like left him or something, but yeah, she wasn't around. So his daughter was the first lady. And um, so, yeah, she was, she was in government before she was in politics, so to speak. Okay. So, um, yeah, so she's just sort of continued from there. She's, she's 
been running for president like every election since then, mm. basically. And and always gets like quite a lot of votes, but not enough to actually win. Um, so yeah, she's hoping this time will be different. I mean, she's I remember the first poll that came out when the second round started. Had within the city of Lima, I had Castillo 30%, Keiko Fujimori 30%, and 30% undecided. And these are like liberal sort of middle class people who, uh, you know, they're, they're not leftists, but they don't like yeah. her like right wing populism, right? I mean, you get that, you know, in North America, these like people who really hate Trump, but they're like, right. you know, terrible Democrats or something. Those sorts of people. And so I was thinking, well, it'd be interesting to see where they're going to fall um, yeah. when it comes to election day. I think I have a pretty good idea, but let's wait and see. And now the poll show, Pedro Castillo in Lima, 32%, Keiko Fukimori, 67%. So mm. all, of the, all of them, all of these sorts of like <laughs> liberal undecideds have like swung to uh, this sort of far right candidate so as to stop the left. Yeah, that's always comforting. A hundred percent, what would have happened if like Bernie had gotten the nomination here in, in the U.S.? All these people who are like Trump is a Nazi would yeah. vote for him in yeah. a heartbeat. Um, well, yeah, it's, it sounds like the polls are very close, but at the same time, um, a lot of the rural areas are kind of undercounted, right, in the polls. So are people like confident in Castillo's chances? And uh, if he does win. Sounds like it's going to be very, very, there's a lot of def- difficult uh, circumstances in Peru, right? There's been decades of austerity, so the economy's in trouble, and also COVID has hit really hard. So can he win? And if he does win, can he, like, actually uh, succeed in, in uh, improving people's quality of life there? I have a follow-up question about that, which, which is just, like, are, are people afraid at all of having, like, an openly communist president-elect? under the United States after everything we were doing 50 years ago, you know, like that, that was kind of like a death, like a, like a target on your back for a certain amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. What happened here in Bolivia was that the polls underestimated support for the mass by 10%, 10%, you know, and that was because the vast majority of the votes for the mass was in the rural areas and the yeah. pollsters and like the country, like Peru and Bolivia is the same. They're like massive countries, but with not that much population, basically. So like they're mm. the size of like many countries of continental Europe put together, but with like the population of one city, one European city. So mm. um, it creates this, so you have people like living in the Amazon, in like really high mountainous areas, difficult to get to, often without roads, uh, often without much signal, so you can't really call necessarily. So the pulses don't really get to them. Or if they do, it'd be really expensive to do so. Um, I mean, maybe the ones in Bolivia are just like really terrible and maybe improve their better. But my guess is that some some of the same dynamics are going to play out. And I th- I think, yeah, his, um, his, his support is being underestimated a little bit. Um, precisely because of that urban-rural divide. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like there has been an enormous sort of scare campaign in the media about, you know, what's going to happen if Castillo wins. Um, So one of his policies, he says, is, and it's not even really a policy, it's just a sort of like proposal, I guess, is that he wants to reduce 
the country's reliance on imports and like produce more within the country, promote sort of local industry. And so all in the newspaper said, oh, he's going to ban imports. You're not going to be able to buy iPhones. You're not going to be able to buy like clothes from the US. It's going to be like horrible. You're going to live like uh, in misery without like Nutella and I don't know, like uh, whatever people consume in Canada, etc. Um, and another one I saw, a quite funny one I saw a few weeks ago was a newspaper, because there's, there's current inflation in Peru going on now under the neoliberal model and the mm. price of chicken has gone up. And they said, that's the fault of Pedro Castillo because, because he's got so much support, uh, like investors are getting scared and now that's why like the price of chicken's going up. So, and the title was that he, Castillo's already making us poor. He's already making you poorer. When he takes yeah. power, he's going to turn you into Venezuela and you, no one's going to have any food. But it's already happening now. He's already like, uh, he's responsible for this rise in the price of chicken that's going on now. He went on Reddit <laughs> and did the GameStop short to the chickens. <laughs> yeah. I know what he's doing. There's a lot to work with pun-wise when chickens are unavailable. The, the, the economy's flown the coop. There uh, there's a that fox <laughs> in, 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 a, in the hen house. These are all just options I'm just giving out for free. These economists are chicken shit. Yeah, yeah. but Trump was okay. doing the same thing at the end of the last election, which was taking the riots that were happening under his government and saying, look what will happen if we change governments. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like a go-to move here. Yeah, it's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good comparison, I think. Um, so, yeah, the failings of the current system being portrayed as his fault somehow. Um, so, yeah, those are the sorts of, like, scare campaigns that have been going on uh, across the whole of the media. There's no media that's symp- – no section of the national media that is sympathetic to Pedro Castillo. Um, and the way he's managed to do it is through various sorts of local community media that people have in rural areas, uh, social media. I mean, the – kind of like interactions he gets on Facebook are just crazy like I don't think I've ever seen stuff like it because in Peru and Bolivia people still like only use Facebook especially like working class people like people don't really use Twitter or Instagram and stuff like people love Facebook so everyone's on Facebook and then like he can post a video gets like 9, 10, 11,000 shares within like one hour and stuff it's like blimey like Never seen that sort of levels of interaction. Careful, or Zuckerberg will hear about that and suppress <laughs> yeah. it. I can imagine so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if he, so if he gets in power, like to Alex's question, is like, are, are people worried that the, you know, when when you say like they're they're saying we're going to end up like Venezuela, could that happen in terms of the U.S. just levying a shitload of sanctions and uh, the bourgeoisie there, like? Um, manufacturing food shortages and like and also how is he going to deal with these these crises is is it is there hope that he'll actually be able to transform things or is it going to be you know pretty dim no matter what yeah certainly because peru is shares a border with with bolivia and a Mm -hmm. lot of the people that vote that are going to be voting for for pedro castillo you know especially in the andean rural areas you know, they're really close to Bolivia and they look over the border, what's happening. And, you know, that's what has driven a lot of the support behind Pedro Castillo. Um, I mean, I've, I've spoken to some Peruvians who said that, you know, Evo Morales is our, lead, is our leader. We feel more, ident- we identify more with him than we do with the sorts of like, 
you know, Japanese or like European sounding names that are like in the presidency of our own country. Um, so people look to what's going on in Bolivia with, as an example of, you know, how you can reduce poverty, deliver a growing economy, um, you know, in the, in the framework of sovereignty and kicking out US influence in the country. I wanted to what? ask about Bolivia next. Are you, are you there right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I'm on your Twitter here. It looks like you're covering uh, Luis Arces. Is yeah, that, yeah. Am I saying that right? Uh, yesterday, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Arce, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, you got this video where he's trying to go to his car and there's like a mob of fans, like it's a Rolling Stones concert. And they're like <laughs> yeah, blockading yeah. him, which yeah. is weird for a president, kind of. I don't know. <laughs> I should well, add yeah. because in the video, you can see some security guards, but they're not from him. Those security guards are like the the young members of the union where he, of the town where he was speaking. So it was like ah, union yeah, protection. Cool. Interesting. <laughs> he only had like one security guard, I think. So he's... yeah. Uh, Mas, his party, is back in power after a short uh, respite. They took a vacation, little little break, hiatus, uh, during which time Añez, of course, was in power, and uh, she's now in jail, right? Uh, how How is her trial going? Um, is she... She's still in that little people... box that everyone is tweeting the picture of on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, so... The day of her, the day that you know her arrest was ordered, police went to her flat in the city where she lives, and she wasn't there. Like, oh God, she's 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 done a runner, and the city she lives in is very close to the border of Brazil. Um, so everyone's thinking, oh, she must have gone gone to Brazil, like paid someone to take her over the border, something. Like that. Who knows? So they started the search of the city, and then yeah, they. They found her, her friend's house. She didn't make it to Brazil. Her friend's house. And she was hiding under, you know, those beds that you can lift up and have storage space underneath. Uh, and one of them <laughs> she's hiding inside of an Ikea bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she had like stuff in there. She had like a blanket. She had some like bottles of water. So I, I don't know how long she was planning to stay in there. Um, yeah, bizarre, bizarre. Yeah, holy shit. I'm picturing like a very comfy version of the video where they get Saddam Hussein out of that hole. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's definitely better than the Saddam Hussein hole. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. Every time pick the bed if you can. But no, yeah, she's in jail now. She's in jail. Um, I mean, there, there was these sorts of like attempts to have free annuals campaigns and stuff. And I think that, that lost steam pretty quickly. Yeah, um, I think most of it was probably here uh, yeah. from like the New York Times. Yeah, definitely, definitely. yeah, yeah. Free um, Britney, you know. She's a great lady. <laughs> I mean, I am. A lot of listeners want to know if she's single, but I'll uh, wow, leave yeah, that for the blogs. Too. Yes, a lot of listeners. She's married to a Colombian sort of uh, narco-linked politician. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay that sounds dangerous yes. i mean maybe he'll want you know someone to take her out like on a date pulp fiction style or something you never know she's married to uh, somebody it'll yeah see the film how it ends i'll get away yeah. <laughs> Andrews, um, you have to let it go you're never gonna get with onions i'm just saying like if someone needs to do a, if moss needs to do like a recon mission and they need someone to seduce her i'm i'm willing to do it. the honey pot sure yeah do we know any trained clowns um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she was only in power for a little bit uh, like how much damage did she do and how is moss uh recovering things 
Uh, it seems like the, the return has gone sort of smoothly overall. Um, but you mentioned the IMF, like uh, what, how is the relationship with that um, sort of international development going? Like, are they, they able to sort of restabilize things and get uh, anti-poverty programs back on track? Sorry, I have a question to piggyback on onto this. How does the Biden... We, we like adding like nine questions at once. Sorry. Rapid fire. I'm ADD and I'm going to forget it. How does the Biden administration play into this? Because I know that he was, you know, talking to Americans and saying, I'm the most left-wing president of all time and all this stuff. And then if you totally looked into what they were planning in like South America, it was very much not... Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They have no honeypots um, planned. <laughs> and so the so the worst damage that was done was was on in the economy because when Evo Morales, you know, the day he leaves power, Bolivia at that moment is the fastest growing economy in South America, and then within like two months that has been destroyed. And this is before the pandemic, right? And one of the big things she did was that Bolivia has loads of like state companies, like a large number of companies that are owned by the state, all sorts of different things. So, I mean, just right near here, there's like a, a, like a juice factory that's owned by the state. They like buy fruits from the local people and just like make it to like juice pulps and stuff. And, nice. you know, like there's profits from that then go to the state and then the state can invest it in like certain things. And so that's a small scale, you know, the biggest scale is things like uh, lithium, natural gas, uh, things like that. And in fact, another factory there was here, a huge, huge factory to make ammonium fertilizers. And that was the plan was to export it around the world and all the profits going to the state. All of that was closed down. You know, the factory gates just closed the, the day after the coup. Um, as part of their sort of plan, you know, to shrink the size of the state, free market reforms, etc., And that did enormous, enormous damage. I mean, in the, the city, Cochabamba, near to here, they had actually built, a, under Evo Morales' government, they'd nearly finished building a metro system. And in the city, it's terrible. You have, like, car, like, buses from, like, the 1950s that are, like, always breaking down and, like, someone's catch fire and, like, it, it's terrible. And so they, they were, the government was building this sort of modern metro system. Um, and it was already all the stops were done, all the tracks were there, like in public. The only thing they had to like finish the, building the carriages, um, and basically the government just cut all funding for that, and it just just it just disappeared. But all the tracks and stops all still there. People could see it on the daily, you know, on the day to day. But it, the whole project just went up in smoke because of you know the the retreat of the state from the economy. Yeah. So. The process now is reactivating all of that stuff, reopening all of those like state factories, state projects. Um, just yesterday, when I was with Luke Sanderson, he was uh, opening a new market that had been built by the government for other people in this town. Uh, and it's just really important because most people work in like selling food, selling you know stuff, and they used to have to do it in the streets where you're vulnerable to rains, you know, the sun, etc. So building this market gave is an infrastructure project. And it begun under Evo and then paralyzed under Agnes. And they said, no, we've completed this now. We're going to finish all of those projects that Evo started. So that's, a, that's, the that's the sort of economic strategy in Bolivia, is state-led economic growth, state companies that can turn a profit and can bring revenues for the state. And then that can be used for you know, schools, education, health, whatever, and social spending. So... Yeah, that's the 
that's what's happening. We're in the process of reactivating all of that stuff. It's, it's like every week it seems that a new one of these sort of state projects is being restarted. So that's really positive. That's great. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of Biden, that's that's a lot less positive because uh, what you know, I don't follow you know domestic U.S. politics particularly closely. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I hear some people saying, "Oh, he's doing all this like progressive stuff." But on the issue of Latin America, there's been complete continuity from mm-hmm. what the Trump administration did. And you got to remember that the Trump administration was a radicalization compared to what Obama had, because Obama had played the same role in Latin America, but Obama was making some uh, small positive steps, like easing the blockade on Cuba, um, and what were, you know, lighter economic sanctions on Venezuela under Obama became a total like embargo blockade under Trump. So he pushed things much more aggressively than, than Obama did. Well, then Obama and Biden, because Biden was in that government, right? But now that Biden's president, none of that has been, you know, rolled back. All of the Trump uh, approach in Latin America has been maintained. There's not a single case in which that is not the case. Uh, the issue of Venezuela, Cuba, support for right-wing governments like Colombia, um, all of that has been completely maintained from the Trump administration. So, yeah, there's... Uh, whatever change there may be domestically, like there's total continuity on the issue of uh, Latin America policy. I mean, in Biden's defense, the one thing he is known to do is forget. So maybe that's what's happening. <laughs> and he just, uh, uh, it's a whoopsie kind of situation. Um, I, I guess what I wanted to consult you on here. So we, we got uh Election coming up in Peru, looking may- pretty strong for Pedro Castillo. Maybe he's not going to win. Maybe he will. But, you know, uh, the the tides are moving there. Moss is in power in Bolivia. Venezuela's still Venezuela. We got a left-wing jo- government in Argentina. Cuba's still Cuba. Is there going to be any kind of, like, pan-Americanism that maybe takes off from this? Like, some kind of, like, new socialist internationalist party we can deal with? Like, what's the opposite of OAS that we could get out of this? <laughs> Yeah, I think there's uh, it's something Evo Morales himself is uh, spending his time on at the moment, essentially, um, now that he's no longer president, uh, is, is precisely rebuilding all of the old alliances that some of which existed, some of which didn't exist before. Um, re- and Evo's vision really is to have a sort of two-pronged strategy. One is to have forums of integrations for the governments. So there used to be UNASUR, which is the only Latin American uh, integration body that didn't include Canada and the US. Uh, and that got destroyed basically by a succession of governments, but the plan is to rebuild that. Um, but he, what he's also proposing is a kind of on a sort of the peoples where social movements from different countries have an international forum in mm-hmm. Latin America. Um, and he's already held some meetings with that, including you know, from social movements in countries with right-wing governments and countries like Peru, Colombia, etc. So yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting uh, project that's uh, going on. And it's, yeah, I think it's to, to be done well, it's going to have to be developed over, over a long period of time, I think. But I think the, the, there's, there's so many different things going on in so many different countries. 
And I think Evo Morales is like the person who can be the point to bring it all together. You know, the Fidel's not around anymore, Chavez's not around anymore. And Evo Morales is someone I think who, you know, started out and they, you know, made the union struggle, became president, um, you know, brought about deep transformational change. And the, especially after the coup, the kind of uh, affection I think people have for him at an international level, I think could be could be something that can be used to build something new uh, internationally. And that's great that he's, you know, now that he's, one of the upsides of him not being the uh, president anymore and having to run Bolivia domestically is that he has time to be uh, an internationalist. Um, But with the time we have left, I definitely want to squeeze in uh, Chile to this conversation because it's some very interesting developments there uh, for the left. They have a, they've had a, constitution for a while um that hasn't been so great for everybody in the country uh they were able to um vote out pinochet in 1990 but they he he kept his constitution so they've been under a dictator's constitution for the last uh 30 years they need the eraser so the bigger yeah (laughs) right uh, well, but they do have a um, some whiteout that they're they just uh, <laughs> approved a few months ago uh, for a new constitution. And people were like, ah, is it going to be that good if there's like centrist in power? But boom, we just had some elections over there. The left uh, took out the center right, took out the center left. Uh, and now they have the opportunity to to rewrite the Constitution. What what kind of stuff should we expect in this new constitution um, and how can it change Chile and, and the region? Yeah, I mean, Chile is another country uh, which, yeah, I mean, since, since the 80s has been like a bastion of, you know, being a pro-US ally, of having like, you know, free market economy. And it's always used as an example that, oh, this is what you can do. You know, Chile is a country with a free market economy, has economic growth, you know, things is a democracy. Well, for you know, for the last 20 years or so at least, but it's a democracy. But the last year or so has proved that all of that narrative is has, has been false in large part because people in 2019 began mobilizing on a massive scale, massive protests that were often like turned into riots around you know inequality around the cost of living around poverty uh so all of that movement destroyed that myth that they built up around chile mm. and now that led into these elections these consti- uh, constituent elections and the only reason that happened was that was the demand of the movement um to draw up a new constitution and yeah the whole of the right wing stood under a single list and they got like 30 percent no, no, less, less, less than a third, about 25%, because with a third, they could have had the power to veto uh, articles of the new constitution, but they didn't manage to get a third, so they won't be able to veto anything. So that's quite positive. Um, and the largest list was uh, a list headed up by the Communist Party of Chile. But they, they don't have a majority either. It's quite a chaotic situation, actually. Mm. You have all of these different kind of leftist groups and i would say there is a left majority but all different sorts you have like environmentalists uh, feminists you even have like animal rights people and like 
um, social democrats, liberals, communists, all you know, celebrating the fact that they form a majority. But I think you know, when they actually have to work together, it might be a bit more complicated. But it's yeah. it's it's enormously positive for a country that is so like traditionally conservative. Um, and it was like a bastion for, for the US as like a key, key ally. And now that all of come apart. And the guy who's first in the polls there, a guy called Daniel Hadoue, he's actually of Palestinian origin. Um, nice. There's a large Palestinian community in Chile, actually. Um, and he's from the Communist Party. From the Communist Party. He's already a mayor um, in the capital city. They have, different, have like a few different mayors in the capital city. And he's one of them. And for the city centre of Santiago, the capital city, um, they just elected their new mayor, who's a 30-year-old uh, economist, and she's also a member of the Communist Party. So, you know, you've okay. got, like, really high-profile people now um, in really key roles in Chile. So that's going to be interesting how it plays out. Uh, so, yeah, so we see this process with, like, Chile, Peru, Colombia key key stable u.s allies and now suddenly there are these like massive crisis i was just going to say it's always tough navigating between the environmentalist block and the animal rights block in any given uh joint government <laughs> I mean, they do not get along if there's anyone who can screw that up it's you know uh, i mean it's, yeah this is great but like the left we also uh not always I the best in infighting although maybe maybe uh chile is more um less sectarian than here uh, i don't know yeah I mean, I don't get this, like, political animal rights thing. I mean, like, I think everyone supports, no one wants cruelty to animals, right? But, like, the way people can build, like, whole political causes out of it, I think is absurd. I mean, when I was in Colombia once, I went there just after local elections. And Colombia is, like, such a messed up country. And the election posters I saw the most of was a, the Animalist Party. And their symbol was, like, a dog's paw. <laughs> <laughs> You're in Colombia, like the narco state, and you're like talking about dogs or something. Like, uh, <laughs> this country's gone to the dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe for that reason. Yeah. Well, I, I, are they so are they like asking for uh, equal representation in government for dogs? Or let's let's get to, let's just say it. It's for furries, right? It's people it's for <laughs> Yeah, it's saying clown policy style furries. They're gonna run for mayor as a furry. I get it. Yeah. Because I know there's an issue in Chile and uh, of they have gender parity rules in parliament and they and usually it's to, you know, balance out because they elect too many men. But this time they elected too many ladies. And so some of the women are being asked to step down and mm. give the seats to uh, to men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like opposite club rules. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that sounds encouraging. Uh, like what kind of uh constitution is this gonna be is it gonna be like completely different relationship to like private property or like what what are what's like the best case scenario for the for the left for some of these uh amendments it's gonna be a long process and it's gonna be quite messy i imagine there's these different okay negotiate but i think yeah. a lot a lot of people will look to because this is something that bolivia did in whenever first one in 2006 you had the constituent assembly made a new constitution and like the most important parts of that was, you know, recognition of you know, indigenous nations in the country. And also, there's a key article saying that the natural resources of the country belong to the people. And mm -hmm. that is to 
privatizing is an privatizing those natural resources is an, un, an unconstitutional act. It'd, it'd be a crime. Um, and other sorts of issues like, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to take out loans with institutions like the IMF, it has to have approval of the legislature and stuff. So it's to stop, you know, presidents doing it on the whim. Uh, and yeah, and all the sorts of social rights that didn't exist before and that now do. But yeah, that, that question of natural resources belonging to the public and, you know, constitutional uh, article against privatizing that, that I think would be something really important to, to propose in that, in that process in Chile. Right. Cool. Well, um, is this uh, the last question? Is this the resurgence of the pink tide? Do we have a new, is it a new color? Is it a continuation? What, what tide is this? What name are we putting on the shirts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to be boring and say, I don't think there are tides. I think every country has sort of permanent struggles and, mm. At some point, due to you know the unity, organize you know good organization of those people, they're able to win. And in some places, they're not able to win. Um, and so, yeah, I think with the pandemic, you know, when you had lockdowns imposed and stuff, that completely destroyed the economies here in Latin America. You know, there were no government has the sorts of resources to pay people, you know, subsidies or you know, payments to be at home, basically. That, that, that didn't exist. So when they imposed lockdowns, people were just sitting at home, not able to work and without any income. You know, a lot of people went through really serious hardships. So I think that's been something that's triggered this, this new, uh, you know, this new resurgence in, in a lot of different countries. Crisis. That was like Slavoj Zizek impression. Right. right. We'll have him on soon. Yeah. Um, well, Ollie, thank you so much for your time. Where can our listeners find you in the future? Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, check out our website. We have a website now as of about a month ago, uh, Uh News and analysis about Latin America in English. So, yeah, head there. Uh, we're on social media as well, Calcetra News on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on Patreon as well. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely check that out. I think we're really, we're some of the only people doing sort of on the ground stuff uh, about Latin America in English that isn't like terrible Guardian or like New York Times correspondent. So, yeah, yeah. check it out. Yeah. Back, and it's to it the up. point. It's like, you know, you get all the, it's not one of these long winding 100 page essays. It's like, this is what you need to know. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's idea, you know, it's like, why, especially when I was, when there was the coup in Bolivia, I mean, obviously Bolivia is very important to me because, uh, you know, my family's Bolivian, but, you know, why should it be important to other people in other countries? Very small, yeah. very small, most people haven't heard of it. What I was trying to communicate was, you know, communicate it in a succinct way and in ways that I think people have a lot to learn from Bolivia. And I was trying to communicate oh, yeah. those things, you know, provoke people to think about, some of the issues that Bolivia brings up and how that relates to, to their own situations, their own countries. And I think that can be true of, of every country. Thank you so much. Um, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, thanks for doing all your great journalism. No, thank you guys. Cheers. Yeah. All right. See you later. Nice meeting you. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, let's do plugs, everyone. Um, Alex, you got anything? Uh, yes. 
Theater of Delight Season 3 is coming out soon, so keep your eye on your phone for the latest hit series of audio drama by me and my friend Max Ogle. Um, other than that, you can follow me on Twitter at my new handle, Patak Test Kitchen, which is similar to the other handle, but it has more flavors, and I think you're going to find that when you go and slam that follow button, Jake. <laughs> All right, Alex. We're no longer doing movie of the week. We're done with it. No, I mean, start. movie of the, the year is Cruella. So that, that takes up all of our movies of the week. 2021 the is done. Movie yeah. of a generation, possibly. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody on the fucking, on the Patreon said that they were happy that you, Anders, got to have the same experience that I had with the movie Solo, which I think is probably accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and if you're listening to this episode, we just reviewed Cruella on our Patreon at length. Right. Exhausting Patreon. detail. Yeah. <laughs> Subscribe to that if you don't want to see it and you want to hear commentary about it. Yeah, you, you want to or hear Andrews defend this just... movie for like a hundred minutes against an all-out attack from everyone else. <laughs> right. No, I switched sides. I'm a traitor. I thought it truly was my my Alamo. Um at <laughs> uh, Andersley here on Twitter. Dursley one Instagram check out my other job redacted tonight on YouTube and portable.tv. And also if you are really anywhere in America or the world, but especially uh, Northern Virginia in the DC area, please check out Karishma for Virginia.com and um, help out, right? There's uh, the election is on Tuesday, June 8th, and uh, they need phone bankers, uh, if you can be there in person, they need door knockers, GOTV people, uh, and they could probably use some donations, TBH. So do that again, Karishma, K-A-R-I-S-H-M-A for Virginia.com. Uh, I have my other podcast, Why You Mad? You probably know about it. Uh, we have merch for sale at poddamnamerica.bigcartel.com. Link in the show notes. Sign up for our Patreon if you want to hear us talk about Cruella and talk to us on Discord. And that's it. That's all I got. Okay. It's, that's it's it finished. for us. It's Moss. It's finito, as they say. Live Moss. I was live Moss. so hard not to make a Live Moss joke. <laughs>